0: All right, let's turn to Ecclesiastes. We're up to chapter 11b, uh, chapter 3 rather in verse 11b. We got about halfway through verse 11 last week. In uh, verses 1 through 11, we have a wonderful text that we studied the last time on 28 different seasons uh, of the uh, Christian life, uh, or just life in general. And we talked about the importance of these seasons last week. Uh, the seasons of life come and go, whether they're good or bad. It happens to all of us. We all go through good seasons of life. We all go through bad seasons of life. And uh, it uh, gives us the reason why down in verse 11. And that's because God is trying to make all things beautiful in his time. And so we studied that in the last lesson, and I hope you will remember that um, It's it's a very important truth that uh, uh, Solomon's bringing out. I know this is a very, very deep book, um, but uh, God is going to put you through the seasons of life. Uh, He's not going to ask you for your permission. Uh, He's not going to have a vote uh, to see if you want to or not, or to see if I want to go through it or not. He's just going to—we're just going to go through seasons of life. Some are going to be great. Some are going to be horrible. And it's also that if we cooperate with God, it can make us into more beautiful people. And that means beautiful in his eyes, uh, which is what? Holiness. The beauty of holiness. And so this is why God puts us through. Now, the main thing for you and I to understand about the last lesson, though, is that we must cooperate with God. Those who do not cooperate with God never we never end up beautiful. I I ended the lesson, I think, telling you about the story about the guy with the lawnmower and the uh, push lawnmower, and the one tire was too tight. And as he pushed it and pushed it and pushed it, the three cooperated with his direction uh, as the owner and the one that directed the lawnmower, but the other one just kept grabbing and grabbing and grabbing and grabbing and slowly turning around and after years of that, that tire was destroyed. That tire was beat up and bent up and, and ruined. And uh, the preacher, it was a preacher, who had that happen to his lawnmower, used that as a sermon illustration. I thought it was a good one. And he said, you know, that's how some church members are in my church, he said. They, they don't cooperate with God. They don't roll freely with God. They resist everything God's trying to do in their life. And they're going to make it to heaven. God's going to drag them into heaven, but they're going to be all beat up by the time they get there. And instead of being something beautiful, they're going to be something beat up cuz they got bitter at God, they got angry at God. They wouldn't submit to God. They had a hard head and a hard heart and God had to keep trying to beat it into them. They never cooperated and and, and they're just some people are, that are saved are just going to be dragged into heaven just beaten to death. But others who cooperate with him, he makes all things beautiful. In his time. And so how, are you, how is your walk with God? Listen to this verse and then we'll get into some new stuff here. In uh, Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 it says, He hath showed the old man what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? Well, that's one of the keys of life right there. If you don't get anything else out of tonight, it was worth coming just for that to walk humbly with thy God. Not to fight him, not to question him, not to you know, battle with him all of your life, but to walk humbly with him. That means to be submissive to him. And it says it is required of us to walk humbly with our God. That uh, tire on the lawnmower wasn't cooperating with its owner and in the direction the owner wanted to take it. It was all beaten up and battered. There's a lot of people that are like that. They're saved, but they're bitter at God. They're angry at God. They're always questioning God. They never just submit and kind of go with God. And kind of the rest of the chapter is built on that. So let's get to verse number 11, and we're in chapter 3, and we've already looked at the first part. It says, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. We ended with those three words the last lesson, in his time. Not in your time, not in my time. We're going to see in the rest of this chapter, he's God. And that's all there is to it. He's God. He hath made all things beautiful in his time. Notice how he brings out this principle now, that he's God. It says, also he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Notice here in verse number uh, 11, Also he hath set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work of God, the work that God maketh from the beginning um, to the end. Uh, Dealing with God is not a democracy. We uh, we really struggle with a verse like this, and, and we really struggle with the rest of this chapter as American Christians because we try to take our American culture, of thinking that we've got a vote, I've got a voice, I've got a right to be heard, I've got a vote in this, you know. Uh, we think somehow that can fit into our relationship with God. Do you understand that like, with God, you do not have a vote? You do not have um, uh, a a democratic process uh, whereby if you don't like it, you can vote it out of your life. Uh, The American view or what, what the scripture says here, the world view of the scriptures will bring us into conflict with God. We will end up with accusations against God that he is not fair. Because he never asked us before we suffered. He never asked us uh, before we lost our health. He never asked us before we lost our job. He never asked me before I lost my loved one. And if we have this American concept in our minds when we approach the Scripture, see, folks, we live in a theocracy in our relationship with God, not in a democracy. He's the king, period. That's all there is to it. Um, Over in, uh, I was looking at this today. Let's see if I can find it. Um, Romans uh, chapter 9, I think it is, verse 20. It says, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Who are, who are you to reply against God? Who are you to say uh, the thing that's formed to the one that formed it? How, why'd you make me this way? You see, we we need to understand, you know, that, that we're never going to we're never going to enjoy God uh, until we resolve ourselves that it's a theocracy. I was thinking about this the other day. I never had this thought before, but I've said this many, many times. I've heard many other people say this. They say, well, you need to let God be God. You need to let God be God. Well, where is that in the Scriptures? Uh, Where does it authorize us to let Him be God? And yet that's how many people live. They, They think that that some kind of authority they have. Okay, God, you can be God. I'm going to let you do that. You know, it's like President Bush coming through town saying, I just want you to know that I'm going to let you be the president. I'm going to let you lead the country. I'm going to let you decide, okay? He'd look at me like, well, who are you? No, you're not going to let me do anything. I'm going to do it whether you let me or not. But it's the same thing with God. There's too many people with that, that concept of, well, Uh, You've got to let God be God. No, God is God whether you let him or not. He's going to do what he wants. And this is where conflict comes in between people and the Lord. We look at everything from a worldview, verse 11 says, and that causes us a great fault. As a result of our worldview of things here, It says, no man can find out what work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. And we're going to see in a few verses why that's a good thing. See, we try to figure out everything from our worldview or from this side of eternity. Always trying to get answers is sometimes a fault. For some things we'll never know. We wouldn't need faith if we knew it all. I want to encourage you all tonight just to go forward and just to go on in what knowledge you do know. We wouldn't know faith, and we wouldn't need faith, if we knew all the answers, or if we even found out all the answers. God's going to let you die without some of your questions being answered. He's going to. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, and verse number 29, it says this, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There are some secret things that belong unto the Lord our God, and, and He's just not going to show them to us. God is God. He doesn't have to show us everything. I don't know how it was when you were growing up, but there were times when I would ask my father why. He'd say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we going do this, because we're, we're living on the farm. And he'd, he'd give out these jobs, and they didn't seem to make some sense sometimes. So my natural question was, why do I got to do this? His answer was this, because I said so. That was it. Now, every father says that sometimes. Cannot God the Father say that to us? Cannot he say, you're going to do this right now, or you're going to endure this season of life right now? And we say, well, why? And he just says, because I said so. Because I said so. And, you know, the the amazing thing is that in many cases, not all, but in many cases as life went on for me or as the year went on for me and we were doing certain jobs on the farm in the springtime, by the time fall came, I realized why I needed to do that job. It made sense later. So it is with the Lord. He hath set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end, no man there, there's not a there, there's no preacher that can answer every one of your questions. I want you to watch out for some questions. I, I want you to be careful about questions. Uh, you just got to be careful. Uh, we're told in uh, uh, First Timothy um, chapter number. 1. In verse 4 it says, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, <clears throat> in verse 3, it says this. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof come envy, strife, railings, evil surmising. Some, some people who are proud, one of the manifestations, many manifestations of pride, uh, one of them is wrath, uh, the Bible says uh, proud wrath, one of them is contention, only by pride cometh contention. Another manifestation or symptom of a proud man or woman is one who's always got questions. not good questions, but just just uh, contentious questions, strife, evil surmising. Why did God do this? Why did God allow this to happen? A lot of times that's just pride. Second Timothy chapter two and verse. Uh, 23 says, But foolish and unlearned questions uh, avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. They don't edify people, they just gender strife. Titus 3 and verse 9 says, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. You know, Satan pulled this, quote, right-to-know, unquote, thing on Eve. That's another problem we have in American culture, what we call the right-to-know. I've got a right-to-know. You ever hear that in culture in America? We've got a right-to-know. Uh, We've got a right-to-know what the government's doing. We've got the right-to-know what the CIA's doing. We've got the right-to-know what the FBI's doing. No, we don't. But we have this mentality in our American culture i got a right to know, i got a right to know, i got a right to know. Nobody should be holding out on me. You know where that started? That started with Satan in the garden when he said to Eve, God is holding out on you. He's holding back information on you. And you don't have to live that way. You've got a right to know, Eve, what that tree is about. And if he won't show it to you, then rebel against him and go and partake of it of it. she did. Right to know killed her. My friends, this walk of faith that we're on right now gives us no right to know. There's a lot of things that I've, I've just had to face that way. I've had people say to me, well, why would God take away Janet from Roy when Roy needs him the most? I have no right to know. I only have a right to trust. To trust Him. Because there's coming a day when God's going to make it all plain. But it might not be in this life. God has never made His first mistake. And I as a preacher have decided I will die and go to my grave believing that. God has never made a mistake. And sometimes those questions, I I get leery of answering them. I'm not God. No man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. That's why we just need to trust in Him. But what do I do know about God? All His judgments are according to righteousness. All His dealings uh, with man are who are saved is with love in mind. He makes no mistake. He's perfect. Verse 12 says, I know that there is no good in them, that is in man, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. Uh, there's no good in man. I know this is a humbling thought right here. Psalm 39.5 says, Man at his best state is altogether vanity. The Bible says we are all as an unclean thing. But praise the Lord. You can take someone in whom there is no good, and yet with God's help he can do good. And it can be a source of rejoicing. And you're going to see Solomon mentioned several times now before the end of this chapter, just go to work. Just go to work. Just go to work. Don't don't you know don't try to don't don't let your life come to a screeching halt because you're trying to find the answers to some questions. Just go to work. I remember when Craig Durham was out in Bible college and and he thought he had a question worthy to bother Dr. Jack Hiles about. So he got in line with everybody else there. Hundreds of people come to see him and he'd get in his door and he asked him the question and Dr. Hiles said, Just go soul winning. You know, he had one of the perplexing questions of life that nobody could answer. Dr. Hiles gave him good advice, just go soul winning. And he he never took his hand off the doorknob. He had him come in, had the question, just go soul winning, close the door on him. Now that's about the best advice you could probably give someone. You know, yeah, you got questions, okay. You don't have any answers. You're not gonna get any answers maybe in this life, maybe you will. But in the meantime, just go work. Do something for God. Accomplish something in the meantime. Go around those questions and go on and follow the Lord. Verse 13, And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor, it is the gift of God. So find God's perfect will. Get busy in His perfect will. Labor in the perfect will of God, and that's the gift of God. Just just go to work, God's saying. You're not going to find out everything I'm doing. Just work. Just labor. It's the gift of God that you... The, the, the simple things of life, eating, drinking, finding out God's will, and, and working in God's will in your life. Verse 14, I know that whatsoever God doeth, It shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it, and God doeth it. Now here's the important statement, that men should fear before him. I like this verse. Here's Solomon trying to explain in this chapter the unexplainable. You and I don't know what God's doing. We're never going to know what God's doing. No preacher is going to be able to tell us what God is doing. No counselor, uh, no uh, pastor, no teacher, uh, no relatives are going to be able to tell you ever completely what God is doing in your life. But when Solomon gets down to the bottom line here, he says this, though, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Whatever he's doing, if you'll work with him, if you'll cooperate with him, if you'll walk humbly with your God, not contentiously, not proudly, not angrily, not bitterly, but if you'll walk humbly with your God, while you're going through this, what God's doing in your life is going to be eternal. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Forever. Nothing can be put to it or anything taken from it, and God doeth it. Why? That men should fear him. God is going to do it, and he's not going to ask us. When he does it, it is going to be eternal. Some of the most frustrated people on earth are those who think God owes them an explanation. or that God should do what they want him to do when, he, or when they want him to do it. Those who live by the let God be God philosophy. No, God is going to be God whether you or I let him or not. He's going to have his way in our, our lives. God is going to do what he wants to do. He's not going to ask me. He's just going to do it. Why? So that I could fear him. You know, fearing God is a good thing. that men should fear before him. I'm glad. Can you imagine what a, how much worse the world would be if God told you and I the day we're going to die? Because what would most men in the natural do? They'd live in sin to the day before. But seeing none of us knows when we're going to die, what does that do? It tends to temper our behavior, doesn't it? Can you imagine if the Lord told us the date he was coming back? what would I, What would we probably do? Oh well, good, I got all this time up to the you know come back February sixth, I got to February fifth to really enjoy this world. really get everything I can out of this world, get right with him just about a day before. no, but because he doesn't tell us we fear him, because he doesn't tell us when the next health problem may come. Because he doesn't tell us when the next accident is going to happen. Because he doesn't tell us when one of our children is going to die. Because he doesn't tell us when our mate is going to die. You know what that causes me to do? causes me to love my wife every day. Not take her for granted. causes me to want to serve my Lord every day. I, I, I don't know. You, you never know what's going to happen. See, God... Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken away from it. God doeth it that men should fear before him. We ought to fear God. He says, I'm not telling you anything. Why? So you'll fear me. And fear is a good thing. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. The study of the fear of the Lord as we did in Proverbs. Every time it says to fear the Lord, it, it, there's some corresponding blessing that comes upon you in your life when you do fear God. Fearing God's a good thing, and I'm glad God keeps us in the dark about so many things because it causes me to fear Him. Verse 15, that which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. Our lives are not unique. Our problems are not unique. Our sorrows, our griefs, our questions, our depressions are not unique. People have been through it before, verse 15, saying, that which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. Things are the same as ever. God is going to make us give an account. God requireth that which is past. Verse 16. And moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness that iniquity was there. Here's another observation. It would do us good as church members to understand this verse tonight. Verse 16 moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that's government. And I'm I'm adapting this to us today in 2005. That wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that's the church. That iniquity was there. See, no matter where you look, wickedness and iniquity are there whether it's in the courts of law or whether it's in the house of the Lord Jesus Christ in the church. You're going to see wickedness and iniquity. You know, if you find hypocrisy in our church, we're not going to give you a medal. We're not going to give you a ribbon. We know it's here. Some people think they ought to get a ribbon or a medal because they detected hypocrisy or iniquity or impartiality in the church. I don't care what church you go to, you're going to see iniquity there. There's not a one of us perfect, no pastor is perfect, no church is perfect. If you find a perfect church, don't join it because you wreck it. Every institution has faults in it. But we don't say to the military, "Listen, I don't want you guys to defend me anymore because there's a bunch of hypocrites in the army." And you don't say to the police department, "I don't want you guys, you know, on my street or or watching over my house or anything because I know in our police department there's some hypocrisy there." I don't need you guys. Now we don't get rid of the institution because there's some hypocrisy there. Same thing with the church. Now, we don't say, I'm, "I'm quitting church." I've seen some hypocrites there, and. And uh, they're not living up to what they ought to be. Uh, Solomon pointed that out in the scriptures here. I, moreover, I, and moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of iniquity that, or righteousness, that iniquity uh, was there. And so I said in my heart, verse 17, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. There is a judgment day coming. And uh, both the wicked and the righteous are going to be judged. In uh, Matthew 25 and verse 32, it says, And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, uh, as a shepherd uh, divideth the sheep from the goats. Uh, John 5, verse 22, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Uh, Acts 10.42, and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify uh, that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and dead. That's those that are alive and those that are dead. Uh, Because he hath appointed, Acts 17.31, because he hath appointed a day in which he shall judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, where he hath given assurance unto all men and that he hath raised him from the dead. Romans 14.10, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. One more, 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing, the rapture, and at his kingdom after the millennium. So righteous people are going to be judged and uh, wicked people are going to be judged. As Solomon said here, and as it is said in many other scriptures. Hebrews 9, 27. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So there is a time coming when we're going to be judged for our actions, our behaviors, and even the intents and motives of our hearts, and our attitude towards the Lord. So let's be sure our attitude towards the Lord is right. And what is that? Micah 6, 8. We read it earlier. Walk humbly with Walk humbly with thy God. That is what is required of us. How are you walking with God tonight? Are you walking contentiously with God? Are you walking bitterly with God? Are you walking angrily with God? Is he dragging you along? Are you walking humbly with him? Humbly with him. I want to encourage you to walk humbly with God. Verse 18, I said in mine heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. Here's uh, Solomon. He's pretty fed up with the human race here. And uh, he said in his heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them. He's basically saying from his heart, God, show us what we really are. Help us to see that we're just uh, a bunch of beasts. Uh, man sometimes behaves no better than Beasts. Uh, no better than barnyard animals. And, uh, you know, we like to go around, the human race likes to go around thinking they're gods. But uh, we're going to die like men, and we're going to be judged by God. And he goes on, he talks about a comparison here to us with beasts, and you got to you got to understand again, when you're reading the Bible, you got to keep things in its context. I know some people have lifted these verses out in, try to justify animal rights with verses like these and so on. You gotta keep words in their context. And and when especially when man is speaking and man is giving his opinion, you gotta be careful. Like the book of Job. I don't know if you've ever read through the book of Job or not, but Job's friends start talking and even Job starts talking and you're all through the book you're wondering now, is this God speaking through Job or is this just Job? This is God speaking through Job's friends, or this is this just his friends mouthing off. And it's hard to differentiate sometimes what's true in this book and what isn't. The same thing with Ecclesiastes. Uh, these, these, again, are the words of a man who was backslidden, a man who was humanistic, a man who got completely away from God, served all kinds of strange gods, ran after strange women and so on and so forth, just got disgusted with life in general and everything he saw amongst men out in the world, and he says, Lord, why don't you just manifest to us that we're just like a bunch of beasts. And here's one of the reasons why he thought that. Verse 19, for that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them as the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast for all his vanity. And uh, so this is one of those verses that animal rights activists with their theologians. It seems there's a theologian for every group out there. But they find verses like this, and they say, see, it says, right here in the Bible, man hath no preeminence among a beast. No, what he's saying here is at the beginning of the verse, for that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts, just as beasts have accidents and beasts get sick and beasts get diseased and beasts get murdered. All the things that happen to beasts happens to man. There's no difference. He said this is vanity. Uh, and again, this is from more of a humanistic uh, world view of rationalizing by observation. Verse 20, all go unto one place. All are of dust and all turn to dust again. All right, well, that's true. Uh But there is a difference, and I want you to notice it in verse 21, the preeminence of man. It says, Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? This is the only verse I know that talks about the spirit of the beast. Just goes downward into the earth. I suppose it's, I don't know, destroyed, annihilated. I'm not sure what happens to it. It's going to melt someday with a fervent heat or whatever. But the spirit of man goeth upwards. And we're going to see that later in the book of Ecclesiastes also. There is a preeminence about man. And that he not only has a spirit that goes upward, but he has a soul that goes upward. All souls are mine. Animals are never said to have souls. Wherefore, verse 22, I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works. For that is his portion. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? Who knows what's going to happen after us, good or bad, so let's just focus on doing right now. Uh, That's what he's saying. Do your work for God now. Find out what God wants you to do. Do your work for him now. Who knows what's going to happen after, maybe the next generation. I mean, we ought to work our hearts out to try to make this church work, make this church effective in the community, make this church grow. Who knows, maybe the next generation will destroy it in one generation, but who cares? Let's just do our work for which we'll be judged for. Let's try to prepare them to take it over and do the right thing after we're done. But we don't know what's going to happen after we're gone. Because says, Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better that, than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? I remember my grandpa on the farm. He had a little farm in Orchard Park there. He was always working on the house and always working on the barn and always working on the... Other building we called it the chicken coop and had the six hours. He was always uh, six acres. He was always taking care of the land and everything. And, and, uh, you know, it was just a really nice farm. Uh, After he died, shortly after the land was sold, guy come through there, bulldoze everything down like it was nothing. And it sits over there in Orchard Park now with trees about this high. Just grew over there. Guy never did anything with it whole life is whole work that he put into it. The guy just come in there with a bulldozer, bulldozed it all down. But he enjoyed it while he was alive. He took care of it while he was alive. And um, I think we ought to spiritualize that too. We ought to live for God. Uh, we ought to try to bring up our families right. We ought to put our all into the Lord's will and the Lord's work and the Lord's church. Who knows what the next generation is going to do with it. We have no control over that. We can work for God, and we can do eternal things. And so work, 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 three times in this chapter where Solomon is just struggling with the meaning of life, struggling with the ways of God, and coming to the conclusion that it's not possible for a man to understand ever in his life completely what God's doing. But he says, "This is one thing I can do: I can find out what God wants me to do and just work at it, and work at it and work at it, and work at it and work at it. And work at it, and work at it. And if he gives me the answers down the road, uh, that's fine. I want to encourage you in closing tonight, walk humbly with your God. It's it's so much easier. It's like the tires going around on a lawnmower freely. Walk humbly with your God. Don't walk contentiously with God. Question him about everything he does. Don't walk angrily with your God. Don't walk proudly with your God. Uh, don't walk bitterly with your God. God, why did you do this? Why did you let this happen? And then just be dragged along. No, walk humbly. Micah 6, 8, if you've never memorized the verse, write it down, memorize it. Walk humbly. That's required of us. Just walk humbly with God. You go down the road hand in hand with God and you'll go back through a season in your life. I think he's saying here in chapter 3, you'll say, boy, I don't know what that season was about, but I'm going to still just walk with God humbly. Walk with God and work with God is what I think chapter 3 is about. And if you'll do that humbly, he'll make all things beautiful in his time. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you.